receiving incoming transmission. Dude, did you ever see the book of Eli? Oh, dude, it's awesome. He has his glasses on, and he pulls up his machete, and he starts saying Bible verses. He's like, cursed be the ground. He's like, ching, 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 ching. The ending, remember the ending? He's like, Yeah, the book of Eli. It's awesome. Radical Christian. What's up, Radical Christians? Today, we are doing something especially awesome. We are doing a study from the movie, The Book of Eli, and taking 10 lessons we can learn from it from a biblical point of view. Now, if you're wondering why I'm dressed like a Frenchman, that's because I thought I was going to, you know, wear something more of a post-apocalyptic vibe. You know, there's a hole in my shirt. Uh, I got this scarf. This is kind of what Eli wears in the movie. But now, noticing that I look like a Frenchman, uh, this is going to be a long ride. But here we go. So, The Book of Eli is one of my favorite movies. It has such an inspirational message with it. Now, I must say, though, there's no nudity, but there is graphic language and violence. So if you're an adult, you can do that what you will. If you are a, a youngster, I suggest you talk to your parents about it and don't just go watching it because your little mind can't handle that stuff yet, okay? So like I said, the movie is highly inspirational and it is a very pro-faith movie. I would say pro-Christian movie, but at the very least, it's a pro-faith movie. So we have a very special guest on this episode that you will meet at the very end. So... You have to stay all the way through this. I guess you could click to the end, but uh, yeah, don't do that. And for our paid content this week, I will be revealing to you next week's guest and our area of research so you can go out and read and study up for the broadcast. So here we go. Let's go into the plot of the Book of Eli. So the Book of Eli is set 30 years after a catastrophic nuclear event occurred and a hole was burned into the sky and the sun roasted basically most of the planet. Now, some people say later in the movie that, that it was it was related to the Bible or the things in the Bible of why the event happened, which is a pretty ominous thought. But the people ended up destroying all the Bibles after the war. I think other books as well, but it specifically said they destroyed the Bibles after the war. Now, our radical hero Eli has been on a 30-year quest from God to go west and deliver a package to an undisclosed location. Now, along the way, he sees various raiders and hijackers and he's ambushed on the road. You soon find out that Eli is basically a samurai-level warrior with a machete and a shotgun, and he effortlessly dispatches groups of thugs, and he seems almost superhuman. A major theme throughout the movie is that Eli seems superhuman or just like one of the, the best, most intuitive warriors that ever lived. Now, as Eli is on his way westward, he sees a group of motorcycle bandits. They run up on a man and a woman pushing a cart. Now, he sees the man, they, where they go out to the man, they shoot him. They pull the woman aside, and I believe they rape her. It is implied that they do, which is horrible. Now, Eli is up on the ridge watching this. Now, we already know he has the skills to stop them. But what he does is he tells himself, this is not your business, don't get involved, stay on the course. So this reveals a point about his character, that he is not perfect. Now, later, when Eli finally reaches the town, now, one thing to mention is there are spoilers in this episode. So if you do not want to have spoilers for this movie, then turn this off, pause this, go watch it. Uh, I personally hate spoilers. I don't even read the back of books. I don't even watch trailers for movies. I kind of just figure if I'm going to be into it and go do it. So I would say go watch the movie. If you don't care about spoilers, you just like the ride, you just like watching the movie, don't worry about it. But I would stop the movie, or I would stop the the you, the video and go watch the movie. Now, Eli finally makes it to this bar where he, he, he goes to the bartender and he asks for water. He has to trade supplies for water. And then we meet Solera. Now, this is a young girl who works at the bar. She goes, grabs his canteen or bottle or whatever, and goes to go fill it with water. Now, while Eli is there, there is a cat on the table, and Eli kind of pushes it away. He, he doesn't, he's bothered by it. He pushes it away. Now, 
he didn't know that the motorcycle gang was behind him, and that was one of their cats. So they go up, they start giving him a hard time, and Eli telling the guy, hey, I don't want trouble. I'm sorry for doing that. I want nothing to do with, with you guys. But the motorcycle gang leader would not let up. So then Eli grabs him, slams his head to the table, and holds him and tells him, hey, I'm going to back out of here. I'm going to walk out of here, and you're going to leave me alone. I know who you are. You were the guys who murdered those people along the road. You guys will pay for what you do someday. And then he says, I'm going to leave, okay? And the guy says, okay. And then he lets go of the guy. The guy drops. Now, this draws everyone's attention. They all surround Eli, and they're about to fight. So as Eli's about to fight, he starts saying, he starts quoting Genesis 3, 17 through 19. So he says, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And he pulls out this giant machete. Now, this is another time you get to see his almost superhuman skills. He's just a whirling ninja. Basically, tearing these people apart, he finally wrestles an axe from one of them. He's about to slam it down, and then Solara comes back in the back, and she says, Stop! So then Eli, he looks at her, he stops, and as he stops, we meet Carnegie, who is the leader of this whole town, this charismatic leader. Now, Carnegie, played by Gary Oldman, addresses Eli and says, Hey, basically, we could use a guy like you on our, on our recovery team. You have unmatched skills. Come join us. I'll give you everything you need. And Eli's like, no thanks. But then he tells Eli, why don't you stay at night and think it over? Now, while he says that, we meet another character, Red Ridge. He tells Eli, this isn't a choice. And now Eli says back to him, there's always a choice. But Eli chose to stay. Now, Carnegie is on a quest to find a Bible. He's having his gang gather all the books he can, and he wants to find a Bible because he wants to use it to control people. Now, Eli's staying in the room, and Carnegie sends Solara in there as a prostitute to go keep him company and, and see what she can learn about him. Now she comes in, this, and she, this is not something she's done before and she's forced to do this or else he'll hurt her mom. So she goes in with Eli and Eli's like, what do you, what do you need with me? And she's like, basically here I am. And he, and he opens the door, he says, you can leave. I'm not that kind of guy. She says, no, 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 he'll hurt my mom if, if, if I don't stay here. She's like, I'll sleep on the floor, just let me stay. Long story short, she stays. He ends up talking with her. He says, hey, let's share my meal. There's more food than I can eat. They share it, and then he, he says, well, wait. He grabs her hands, and she's kind of weary, but she's like, hey, what's going on? And he teaches her how to pray over her food. Now, this is in a world where Bibles have been burned, and for 30 years, religion and the Lord has to have faded away in the eyes of man. Now, he teaches her to pray. The next morning, Solera is at breakfast with Carnegie and her mother. Now, before she goes to eat, she grabs her mom's hands, and she prays. Now, Carnegie, who remembers the old days, he stops dead in his tracks, and he's like, Amen. The word you're looking for is amen. Now, this is where he knows that Eli had known something about the Bible. So he grabs Solera's mom, holds her, and threatens to hurt her and says, did Eli read a book? Did he have a book with him? And she finally confesses, yes, he had a book. They go to get Eli. Eli's not there. Eli fled. Now, this starts a whole big chase where they're chasing after Eli. Flash forward, Solera runs away. She's with Eli. Then they, they Eli and Solera stumble across this house now, these people are a little too friendly for, for their comfort. And basically, they find out later that those are cannibals. And basically, while they're there, Carnegie and his men show up. They go, to, they go to take back this package that Eli has, which is a Bible. He has a Bible that he's taking on a 30-year quest westward. He tells Solara this is the last Bible. So there's a huge fight scene, a giant siege on this little house. Long story short, Carnegie threatens to kill Solara if Eli doesn't give him the book. Eli gives him, tells him where the book is, and then they shoot Eli. Now, this is a man who says he heard from God that God was going to protect him. So Eli kind of stands up. He tries to fight it. He falls down. They leave in two separate trucks. 
one with Red Ridge and Solera, one with Carnegie and Hisman. Now, as they're going, Sol Solera grabs a, a rope, chokes the driver, their car crashes. While it's crashing, Eli's machete that Red Ridge stole impales in his chest. When the car finally stops slipping, he pulls the sword out of his chest very painfully and hands it to Solera so she can go defend herself. Now, earlier in the movie, he also asked as his reward for finding Eli, he asked to have Solera. Now, it looks like he was just being, that he just wanted her as, as a wife and just wanted her for his pleasures. But but you kind of get the feeling that he wanted to protect her because he gave her the, sword, the machete from his chest. Now, he walks out, he stumbles into a beam of light on his knees, and he dies smiling. So this could be this could be seen as a redemption for him now carnegie finally gets back to his bar he goes to open the book and he has someone check it out for him basically he finds out this bible when they finally crack it open here's a big spoiler so get ready the bible that eli's been protecting this whole time is in braille it's not even written in english or any other language it is in braille for blind people now he loses it and he's he's sick from from being shot earlier during the first gunfight they had with Eli. So he's losing it. Now here is another huge spoiler which is the craziest part of the movie. You find out Eli is blind. He's been blind this whole time. So when he's fighting all these people, it's because God is empowering him to fight all these people like Joshua in, in the promised land. It is insane. It is the most awesome movie. So that's not it, though. So Eli is still alive. He's still ticking. He gets up. He's on his quest. Solera goes back for him. They keep going west. They finally get to Alcatraz Island, you know, where the jail was. They get in a boat. They row across. Eli's stumbling. And he's about to die. These men with guns lead them inside. And he says, hey, I have, a, I have a King James Bible, which they don't have with them at the time. He says, I have a King James Bible. And they ask him, what's the condition? He says, it's it's beaten up, but it'll still do the, it'll still do its job. Go grab a bunch of paper and a pen. And they go into the other room. And here is the name of the movie and why it was called The Book of Eli. This is awesome. This is the inspiring part. The Book of Eli, the movie, is called that because he is the Book of Eli. He memorized the entire Bible in his 30-year quest. So he says, write down every word I say. He dictated the entire Bible to him. He was the book. He was the book of Eli. It was the the Bible memorized and, and put onto his heart. Man, isn't that insane? That is awesome. I seriously love that movie so much. It's just, wow. Keeping, like, walking by faith and keeping the word on your heart like that, it, it's just... I don't have to tell you guys. You guys know that's awesome. So that is the summary. Now we are going to get into the characters. We're going to talk about four characters. Carnegie, Redridge, Eli, and Solera. Okay, so we're going to start with Carnegie. Now, I call Carnegie the Antichrist, okay? He's a charismatic leader of the post-apocalyptic city. He wants to build an empire like Nimrod, using this, the Bible to control and manipulate people. He says that he saw the power of the Bible when he was younger, and he calls the Bible a weapon. And one of his quotes is about referring to the Bible controlling people. He says, it's happened before and it will happen again. All we need is that book. So remember, he was sending his thugs out to collect books. And when he would get books and they weren't the Bible, he would just burn them. Now, he was controlling knowledge by burning them. And he knew that knowledge was power by trying to find that book. So he knew the Bible had power, but he was denying the power thereof. He didn't care about God. He cared about control, cared about manipulation. This is why I refer to him as an antichrist. Is literally opposed to Christ. That is not what Christ would do. That is anti-Christ. So to me, he is a picture of the Antichrist. Now the next character is Redridge. Now the way I refer to Redridge is the prodigal son. 
Now, he worked as one of Carnegie's thugs, and, and like I said, they had the interaction where they asked Eli to stay, and, and then Redridge says, this isn't a choice, and then Eli said, it's always a choice. Now, this shows that most likely Redridge was given the same ultimatum, or he felt like he was in a place where he had no choices. He, he was the prodigal son who walked away and who gave up on hope. Now, when he saw Eli and everything that happened with him, it started to show him there's something different about this guy and the way he lives, which is what a, a Christian should show you. Now, they, in their first gunfight, they're all shooting, and Eli just is going crazy, just nailing everybody. Now, there's a point where he, he takes out most of the guys, and he's walking away, and then Redridge points at him and shoots, and the bullet just poof, grazes by Eli. And Eli's just standing still. He, he hears a bullet graze by, and then he just starts walking again. And then another bullet grazes by and clips his clothes on his shoulder, and he stops, and he turns around, and he looks at Redridge, and they look at each other, and Redridge has the gun in his head, or pointed at him, and then Redridge just pull, just puts it away. He just stops. He lets him go. So this is a conflicted character who's who's going through changes as he's seeing this this peculiar man, Eli. Now there's also the interaction where he he says to Carnegie, "If you want me to go find Eli, he's like, I believe this book has power. I do. But if you want me to get it, you're gonna have to give me Solera." Now it could be seen that he just wanted her because he, he he loved her. He wanted her for a wife. Or he also wanted to save her. He wanted to protect her from this life that was going on. Because Solera was a pretty innocent, you know, nice young lady. Now, the last thing we see about him, also mentioned in the summary, his dying act is pulling the machete out of his chest, which was incredibly painful, and he hands it to Solera so she can protect herself from Carnegie. Then he walks out of the car, he kneels down, and there's a giant ray of light. He looks in the sunshine, he smiles, and then he dies. So to me... He was redeemed. I don't know what his relationship with Christ was. Maybe because he was. Maybe because because I referred to him as a prodigal son. There could be a repentance situation going on there. But he died with a smile. I hope he was saved in this fictional movie. That's not even real. Hope he was saved, but we don't know for sure. Now our next character is Eli. Now I've seen him called online the protected messenger, which is really cool. A really cool way. What a really cool name to call him. I call him the Faith Walker. So Eli the Faith Walker. Now, he walked by faith and literally not by sight. He could not see. He was blind. Or at, at the very least, partially blind. Now, God told him in a still small voice to head west about 30 years ago when the, when the whole thing happened. And that he would protect him the whole way there. He's, he's telling this to Solera. And he said, that's all he heard. And she asked him, well, why do you keep going? And he's like, is it's faith. And she's like, what's faith? And he's like, knowing what you don't know. Now, we saw Eli go through a change too. Because in the beginning of the story, he didn't want to help those travelers. He didn't want to get involved. But then later with Solera... She actually, they were trying to rape her, and she, he heard, and he went, he rescued her, and he, and he, he let her join in on, on his quest. Now, the thing with Eli is he has heightened senses due to him being blind. So he has heightened hearing and heightened smell. He smelled these hijackers from 30 yards away, and he could hear people a lot farther. Now, to add to that list, he also had the protection of God. That's why he, he shot a guy on a roof without knowing he's there. He can't see that far, but he just knew. So God was empowering him for his mission. God was keeping him safe for his mission. Now notice, he still got shot, in, and in the end, he ended up dying from that gunshot wound. But guess what? His mission was complete. So when you think about God protecting you, sometimes you think, oh, nothing will ever happen to me ever. That's not necessarily true. God will protect you to fulfill the purpose he has in your life. And honestly, would you want to stick around if you didn't need to be here anymore? I don't think so. I wouldn't want to. Now we're going to get to Solera. I call her the invaluable friend, but the main name of what I call her and how I think of her is the new believer. So Solera didn't know the Bible. She didn't know anything. She just saw a Christian man walking in out to the best of his ability. 
Now, she heard Eli say things from the book and quote, quote verses and talk about it. And she was intrigued and she wanted to hear, she wanted to hear more of it. She wanted to actually take the book and read it for herself. And Eli wasn't too pleased about that. But she also had to walk in faith. From the very little she knew, she had to trust Eli and walk in faith and trust that there's something to this word of God. There's something that I, I should follow and I should join up with. Now, after Eli dies, she picks up his quest where it left off, basically. The Bible was, was transcribed. It was written. It was printed. They have a printing press on Alcatraz. It was put away, and that quest was complete. But she took the gospel message she learned, and she's like, I'm going to go home to my family. I'm going to let everyone I know along the way what I learned. Now, she went and walked out and spread the gospel. So she didn't have some, some years of training. She had one trip with a Christian, and that's all it took to set her on her way. So you can see why this movie is so cool, because there's all these themes. There's all these talking points of the Christian faith and all these examples of different types of Christians. The prodigal son, the Antichrist, well, not, he's not a Christian, but the Antichrist, the faith walker, and the new believer. Eli wasn't perfect, and he still walked out his, his mission. Now, those are the characters. Now we're going to start our list of 10 lessons to take from the book of Eli. Now, the first three points of these 10 points are themes of interest that this movie covers. So I'm going to give you three themes, then we're going to do our seven points of interest from the movie. So theme number one, cannibalism. So a heavy theme of this movie is cannibalism. Like I said, they always check the people's hands to see if they're shaky. And the reason why the cannibal's hands shake is, is from Kuru disease, which is a form of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, and it's caused by eating human brains or human spinal columns. And the first symptom is shaky limbs, which is why people check Eli's hands and check each other's hands throughout the movie. Now, the people that Eli and Solera stumbled upon, they plan on eating them. But when Carnegie and his men showed up, they had to actually fight it out. But they planned on eating them. They saw that when they went to their house, these, this old couple, they turned on music and they tried to act like they were dancing, but their hands were shaking with the, with the tea glasses they had. So then Eli's like, wait, they're trying to cover it up. They're cannibals. So he kind of played it cool. He held a gun to the guy and said, hey, we're going to take off. Thank you for everything. And he kind of backed up. But when he backed out, he saw Carnegie. So the cannibalism is a big theme in this movie. Cannibalism happens today in many different cultures. Many different tribes are still cannibals to this day. Cannibalism has been happening since the dawn of time. Animals that run out of food, they'll eat their own kind. And guess who else did? Nephilim. Nephilim not only ate humans, but drank their blood. Nephilim were vile creatures. They were the, the beings whose spirits would later become demons. So that's why in all these demonic and satanic sacrifices and rituals, blood is a big part of it, human sacrifice is a big part of it, and cannibalism is a part of it. Now Genesis 9-6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. For God had made man in his own image. So that shows the blood of man, the life of man, is precious. Now Acts 15.20 says, Write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. The Lord does not want you to eat blood or consume blood. Now as a punishment for these nations straying away from God, there is even an example in the Bible where he says, you, you're going to end up eating your children because it's going to get so bad for you. So the Bible references cannibalism as a horrible thing, an evil thing. Now, we also see in 1 Enoch 7, verses 3 through 5, that the giants, the Nephilim, also were cannibals. It says, They devoured all the toil of men until they were unable to sustain them. And the giants turned against them in order to devour men. And they began to sin against birds, against animals, against reptiles, against fish. And they devoured one another's flesh and drank blood from it. So, where do we see modern cannibalism in our culture? Well, the rumor has it 
that there are various restaurants that will serve you human meat, people that maybe died of natural causes or something. Katy Perry is a big proponent of this. Now, she has a song called Bon Appetit. It is a highly sexual song. I would not recommend listening to it. A highly sexual song that, that features Katy Perry being prepared and served by chefs as a meal. It's very sexualized and it's very disgusting. Now, she talks about cannibalism all the time. Now, I've seen articles, too, that are saying, why is cannibalism taboo? People are trying to normalize cannibalism. Every culture that has its downfall, one of the staples that started happening was homosexuality, pedophilia, cannibalism. And what do we have going on today, folks? This is the this is the end days, so this shouldn't be a surprise. Now, we also have shows like The Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore. This is where the main characters are suburban real estate agents in Santa Clarita, California. And the, one of the main characters undergoes a metamorphosis and she becomes undead and starts craving human flesh. So they, they go through this whole thing of, of trying to deal with this trying to deal with their neighbors, trying to deal with cultural norms, and trying to get to the bottom of this mystery. Now, the whole thing is about cannibalism, okay? They, they package it in a way where it's like, oh, she's undead. It's not a big deal. She's undead. But this is why she's eating people. That's how they do it. They desensitize you. You have this thing in your head, oh, they're undead. So it's not the same thing. But you're seeing cannibalism, the whole show. You're just seeing it. But because you had this little caveat they gave you, then you're somewhat okay with it. You look at Walking Dead. Zombies are cannibals. That's a ton of cannibalism, okay? Now, another place we see it is in this woman called Marina Abramovich. Now, she is a Serbian performance artist, a, a writer, a filmmaker, and her, her work explores body art, endurance, and feminist art, and focusing on confronting pain, blood, and the physical limitations of the body. Now, for all intents and purposes, she's practicing witch, okay? Now, she does this thing called spirit cooking. Now, in emails from John Podesta that were published by WikiLeaks, there was a message from Abramovich to Podesta's brother. They were discussing an invitation to spirit cooking. Now, Alex Jones, he saw this as an invitation to a satanic ritual, and he saw this as proof that the, the Democratic Party were linked to the occult. Now, spirit cooking, spirit cooking is this gross thing where they make food that's shaped like a human body. Super realistic. And the recipes call for weird stuff like 13,000 grams of jealousy. And another recipe calls for the mixing of breast milk with fresh sperm milk. So that is disgusting. Now this, she was inspired to do this because of the popular beliefs that ghosts feed off of things like light, sound, and emotion. So she's dealing with ghosts. So it's necromancy, okay? That's occultism, that's divination. Now, the who's who of Hollywood has been at this thing. Lady Gaga, I'm pretty sure I've seen uh, Gwen Stefani pictures of her there. Jay-Z deals with her a lot. This is what they do, okay? Now, cannibalism is around in the big day. It's only going to grow and become less taboo, okay? So keep an eye on this because as we're heading into the end times, that's what you need to expect. Our second theme is sex trafficking or prostitution. So there are tons of videos popping up lately. Um, my mother-in-law linked me one where this husband's saying, hey, my wife, they were stalking her at this Target parking lot. They stay by this van, they wait, they ask people to come give them directions or for help or they watch women and they'll just go up and snatch them. I saw another video the other day, this African-American woman, she was she was on the verge of tears and she's saying, I took my lift, I, I called my lift driver, he took me, he started making all these wrong turns and I kept telling him, where are you going? I need to go to work. And he's like, don't worry about it, be quiet. And he drove up to this warehouse, he was about to go into this warehouse and she opened the door and it was able to run away. Okay, they were going to take her and sell her into sex trafficking. Now you see all those things about on the on the borders, the border patrol where they they have those they take the children underground and into into like you know weird pedo cults and stuff like that. 
So there's also a picture I saw and Facebook flagged it on my profile saying, oh, this is false information. So it doesn't sound false to me, but there's pictures of vans with big metal locks on the outside of the vans. Now, I don't know what that's for, but to me, you're locking something from the outside. That means you don't want something that's in the car to get out of the car. Okay, so they're saying those vans were for sex trafficking. Now, this is a epidemic This is happening all over and it's being exposed with everything going on in the government right now. You're seeing how sick these people are and the sick things they're into stuff that conspiracy theorists were just throwing. We're just talking about now is reality. Okay, and this stuff was in the Bible. You had temple pro prostitutes, Kedashim, who were, who were there for, for worshiping those gods through those prostitutes. You have people being raped. You have Dinah being raped, uh, Jacob's daughter being raped, and her brother's going to Avenger. So here's some stats from 2015 on this. 100,000 children are prostituted every year in the United States alone. 12 to 14 years old is the main age that the young girls are sold, and 11 to 13 are the years that the boys and transgendered ones are sold. Now let's look at Psalm 82.4. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what God's, God's will is. Now let's look at Proverbs 31.8-9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. That's what we need to be doing. Now let's look at Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now lastly, let's look at Ezekiel 34.16. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So this is how God feels about those people that are being that are that are sex trafficking people and, and kidnapping people against their will and just these vile, horrible things that are going on today. It's more prevalent than than ever in recent times. Okay, this is stuff that is happening. Okay, the Book of Eli movie episode we're doing right now. This is a way to illustrate points that are very serious, very real points. The movie's awesome. I love the movie. That's part of this, but dude, these are real points. Okay, this is real stuff that's going on. And in the end times, all of this stuff leads to this. That's the purpose of this episode. All of these things, these these things in this movie, there's a lot of them that are backed up biblically and will be in the end times. So the normalization of these things is happening right now to get people to do them. So then when the time comes for chaos and the end days, the really end of the days, it's going to be like second nature. Now that leads us into our third point. The love of man grows colder the closer we get to the very end. Now in the movie, the Lord was seemingly forgotten. Bibles were burned. They were doing away with, with the Lord. And guess what? They were maniacs. They were criminals. They were into cannibalism, sex trafficking, all that stuff. Okay. Now look, we took prayer out of schools. School shootings are going crazy. You know what we do have in schools, though? Homosexual sex ed. We have drag queen story time. That's what we replace prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance with. So you can see where the powers that be are taking our nation, okay? We saw how Eli himself chose not to intervene with the people on the road. Now, there are verses that say don't get, don't get involved in another man's quarrel just for no reason, okay? But there are times to help others. There are times to stand up for what's right to, to do that. Now, not at the to risk the safety of your family. Eli was alone and he had the skills. So you have to think of that on your own. Now let's look at Matthew 24, 12. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. Love is the special ingredient. Love is the key component. Now without that, you got nothing. 
Now they try to use Eli's love and compassion against him. Carnegie did when he grabbed Solera and threatened to kill her if he didn't give him the Bible. And then he had to give him the Bible. He had to trust God even in that moment. And part of him trusting God was just saying, okay, have it so she doesn't die. Now those are hard decisions and hard decisions will come in the end times. But rest in the fact that if it's the end times, then the end is near by definition. So you won't have to endure for too much longer. But these things will be happening. Now, if you want a very, very mild preview of what people will be like when food and water runs out, just look at Black Friday. This is the special day of the year where the day after celebrating everything you're thankful for, you get to see people fist fighting and killing each other over $20 off of a SpongeBob backpack. You can see all the videos. People actually die on Black Friday. It is consumerism. It is it is just the just the, oh, the eating and consuming and gorging of material possessions and the complete disregard for man. So what will we expect in the end times? Well, let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, selfies, Instagram, all that stuff, lovers of money, goes without saying, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's many of us, many of us Christians. Flipping on your TV before you flip open your Bible. I've been guilty too. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, it says. So there is a time to endure. You have a Christian brother. There's a time to endure with them, grow with them, do all that. But if they're doing those things, it says to avoid those people. Okay? I do not like the division of Christians. You know, which Christian does. But the thing is, if somebody's poisoning your well... If their bad company is corrupting your good morals, you need to separate. If they're willfully sinning and just, you know, oh, this is how I am, you need to separate for your own health, your own spiritual health, your own family's spiritual health, okay? It's a very important point. Now, Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to be searching out what the will of God is and doing it. We need to have our minds washed from the way of the world and have the word written on our hearts anew, written in our minds anew. Now there is a quote that Eli says in the movie. He's talking, he's talking about the world before the fall. And he says, people had more than they needed. We had no idea what was precious and what wasn't. We threw away things people kill each other for now. Use that as a warning. What I like to do is when somebody older and wiser than me gives me advice, I like to apply it. Call me crazy, but I don't want to go make their mistake. So I'm big on taking other people's advice. That doesn't mean you take everyone's counsel. But if someone says something, a wise piece of advice, I like to take it. So this quote, take this quote as advice. He's saying that people had more than they needed. They didn't know what was precious. They threw away things people kill each other for them now. How do you, how do you apply that now before it gets to that point? You don't have more than you need. You give the excess away. You realize what is precious. Your wife, your family, your faith, your children, and what's not pleasures, riches, fame, and you prepare yourself for the coming times. So in summary of the themes, those are our three themes. The end days will be horrible and we are well on our way. We are completely on our way. You can see all this stuff right now and it's coming. So I don't mean to scare you or to 
shake you and, and make you, oh no, give you the spirit of fear. That happens when you start researching this stuff. That, that happens when you, when you start getting into this stuff. But guess what? Guess how I look at it. And I guess how I feel going into it. I feel peace. Because if God put you in the end times, then I would like to think there is a chance we will succeed. If he put us here, we are made for a time such as this. So, hey, maybe you make it through. Don't be so doom and gloom about it and just think, oh, I, I, I don't know what I'll do. You know what? Commune with God. Do his will. Do what you can. Be a, be a good steward of your money. You know, get some supplies for your family in case, in case you know, get some food, get some water. You know, you don't have to go put yourself in a bunker underground. That's one thing that actually Russ Dizdar mentions. He's like, if you're putting yourself in a bunker underground, you're missing the whole point of the gospel. How are you going to help people and interact and do God's work if you're hiding out underground? That you know what that's like. That's like the the parable of the people that, that get the money, and the person that gets a little bit of money goes and buries it, and he's like, "Oh, I don't want, I don't want to lose this, so I'll bury it." But the people who have more money, they go and spend it and make even more money. That's that's basically the guy who had the one coin and hid it. That's the guy that goes in the bunker and spends the rest of the days there. That's not you're missing the point. Okay, don't love your life unto death. But that's a side point. But anyways, let's move on to the seven points to add to our three themes to make our list of ten lessons we should learn from the book of Eli. So cannibalism was, was the first lesson. Sex trafficking and prostitution was number two. Number three was the love of man growing cold. And now we take up at number four. Live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 For we walk by faith and not by sight. God doesn't always give us the details in life. God spoke to me in a still small voice. When I was living in sin, when he finally said, hey, time's up, he said to me, play bass. I was listening to music on my computer at 6 in the morning, about to go to community service. You know, my arm was in a sling from surgery, which you can see the scar right there. It's a hefty boy. But um, it just said play bass. I didn't know what, what to do or anything more than I just called my friend. I said, hey, um, I think I want to play bass. Keep in mind, I could barely move these fingers. The ones you play bass with, I could barely move them. And I'm really making this story short for you. So I go, I play bass. Long story short, I end up getting saved at that pastor's house because they, they said, oh, if you want to play bass in this band, uh, these people want to know that we're Christians, so they, they want us to go to their Bible study for a while. Went to the Bible study, got saved. Now, all God said was play bass. He, and I don't even play bass anymore. He didn't say play bass and go to this Bible study and then you get saved. All he said was play bass. And I did it, and praise God. Now, in the book of Eli, all... God said to Eli was, he just said, go west and I will protect you. Now that's what he did. He did that for 30 years. And Solera asked him how he knew he was going the right way. And he said, by faith. And she says, what's faith? And he says, knowing what you don't know. Now keep in mind, he's blind. God had to guide him literally on the path because he was blind. I think he could feel the sun because a lot of times he looks up to the sun, he probably feels the heat and follows that direction. But that's a big deal. Point number five. God will protect you and guide you on your mission that he sends you on. Now, one quote that my wife says a lot that I really enjoy is where God guides, God provides. When God called us to move out to Missouri, we've never been here. We never made a trip out to see what it was like. We didn't know what was going on. We moved out and guess what? God provided. He called us there, so we provided. We both knew he was calling us to move out to, out here to Missouri and we just went. This isn't some great mark on for us. This is just, hey, he did it. Glory to him, he, he provided for us. Let's look at Psalms 91, 7 through 10. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. 
Now, when you're on your mission from God, you will not die before your time. The enemy is not just going to come by and pop you. Okay. If you're outside of the hedge of protection, if you're outside of God's will doing your own thing, I believe that's when people have untimely deaths. And it is my belief that while you are in God's will and doing what he calls you to do, you won't die before the time he has set for you to die. Point number six, the Bible is a two-edged sword. It can be used to build people up or it can be used to perversely tear people down. Satan wielded the sword of the spirit too. He wielded it wrongly and wielded it to hurt people and deceive people. So Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the sword of God, the powerful word of God, is a powerful, powerful thing. It is not to be trifled with. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So when you're using the word with your mouth, when you're doing anything, any speaking, you can destroy or build up. It is so easy to destroy. It isn't as easy to build up. You could say one word in anger that really cuts to someone's soul. You, you could know somebody has an insecurity about, let's say they have an insecurity about their outfit that day and that's all they have to wear. And, you, and they get you mad and you say, well, at least I don't, I'm not dressed like a clown. They could feel so torn up and hurt. And even if you're like, I just said they're a clown, who cares? It's like, it cut them. You can't you can't tell them their cut doesn't matter if it cut them open. Now, if you go back and try to repair it, you know how hard it is to apologize. for. I mean, I know personally, when you say something harsh and you go to apologize, it doesn't just fix it like that. They may be a good person and they may say, yes, I forgive you, but they're not they're not the same right away. They're hurt. So that's what you could do with the word. And, and actually, a cool announcement, this Sunday, I will be on Derek Gilbert's podcast, View from the Bunker, and we talk about the counterfeit priest. We talk about my book, The Warrior Priest Mindset, but we also go into counterfeit priests, and that applies to this talk right here. So what is a counterfeit priest? It is somebody who uses the, their religion as a weapon. They're loveless, self-serving scripture twisters who are never wrong. They're hypocritical liars. They're self-righteous, selfish, and they're usually surrounded by other wolves, false prophets, and Pharisees. Okay? So these are people who are holier than now. They say, oh, if you don't do this the right way, then, then you're not a believer. Or you must do this, this, and that to really be in God's will and be a believer. It's loveless. There's so many movements out there that are completely loveless, where their whole doctrine is just snarky memes. Just, oh, you don't do this? Well, I guess you're not saved. And it's like a picture of Willy Wonka. Like, come on. Anything without love makes you a tinkling symbol. And in Derek's podcast, we get into the order of the tinkling symbol. So, so to sum that up, there will always be people who will try to subjugate other people for personal gain by using the Bible as a weapon. Because the Bible is powerful and it can be used that way, unfortunately. Now, knowledge is power. Whoever controls knowledge controls the public narrative. And man wants knowledge. Man wants power. So in the end, you're going to see these kind of people more and more and more. And then you're going to see the Anthroposonomos, I believe, the, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin. And he will set himself up as Christ. Now, Matthew 24, 11 says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So that is what was happening in the book of Eli. He was a false prophet trying to lead people astray. He was trying to get that Bible and become a false prophet. Carnegie was. That's what's going to happen in the end times more and more and more. That's what's happening right now. There's tons of false prophets out there. So point number seven, don't wait until the end of your life to apply the word. Now, what we learn at the end of the book of Eli, he says a prayer that we're going to say at the end of this. Now, the word didn't really affect him as much until the end. It did a little bit, but at the end, he has a revelation of, man, I wish this would have affected me sooner. 
Now think of 30 years spent with the Lord and it doesn't affect you that much. That's because of you. So don't be that way. Psalms 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. You don't. Oh, I'll deal with my pride tomorrow. I don't want to deal with it right now. What if you get into an argument with your friend and you're being prideful and you hurt them and then, then you part ways? And then you're like, I should call them and let them know I was wrong. And like, I'll just do it later. And then they get into a car wreck and they die. You, they weren't promised tomorrow. And you didn't, you know how much you're going to carry that? Not saying that you should, but you know how, how heavy that will weigh on you? That the last interaction with your friend was you being a prideful jerk? You're not promised tomorrow, okay? James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The Bible does nothing for you if you don't apply what it says to your life, if you don't walk it out. If you just read it and do nothing with it, you might as well read the back of a shampoo bottle because it's going to do you about the same. You know, the Bible may even do you worse because then you have knowledge of what's right and you don't do it. For him that, that knows what is good and does not do it to him that is sin. Now, point number eight, keep the will to survive. Do not lose hope. There will be very, very hard times coming our way. And guess what? Your life is bought with a price. God paid for you. Your life, you are you are dead in Christ. Your sins are dead in Christ. You are a new creature with him. You gave your life to him. You pledged your life to him. So for you to, to lose the will to survive or to kill yourself or anything like that, that's not your life to give. He has a mission for you and you are cutting it short. Yes, life gets hard. Yes, we all have moments where we just don't want to go on. Okay? But that's not your life anymore. Keep pushing forward. Keep pushing forward. Keep pushing forward. You will make it in the end. All things work out for good for those who love God and are called to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. Now, Psalms 138.8 says, The Lord fulfills purpose in me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. We are the work of his hands. Psalms 139.14 says, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your, are your works. My soul knows it very well. We are made of the purpose. Do not forfeit your purpose. Do not short-sightedly end your own life. Do not short-sightedly give up. If you're starving, you're just going to let myself starve and die. That's a passive suicide, man. Just be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Yes, it's hard, but you have a mission. Push forward. You don't know what he's going to use your life for. What if your life, if you keep pushing forward, the horrible things you go through, you could talk to others about them, and it saves them from a deep, deep pit, a pit that you yourself were about to give into if you could help others around you from getting out of the pit. That's important stuff. Now, point number nine, learn the value of human relationships. Now, with all these post-apocalyptic shows we see, the big emphasis is how horrible people are going to be in the end, okay? They, that may be by design to discourage people from interacting, but guess what? Just like you see there's racism everywhere on, on, on the news, now, in the end, you can't go it alone. You're going to need people. You're going to need people you can trust. That's why it's so, it's so important to cultivate good relationships now while times are easier, and just don't forget... Even if it's the end times and it's going crazy, you know, you protect your family, but also you, you will need to help people. You will need to share the gospel still. It will be way harder, but you know, maybe it'll be way easier because God will empower you even more. He'll, he'll make things work out well, but don't love your life unto death. You protect your family. Don't get me wrong on that, but, it, but just stuff to think about. I'm not your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your Holy Spirit. So just think this stuff over. Now, Ephesians 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. 
Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Threefold cord. Marriage. God, the wife, the husband. Threefold cord is not easily broken. That's why you need God in your marriage. Now, John 15.3 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Proverbs 17.17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Human relationships are valuable. When Eli met Solera, he was standoffish at first, but then she became invaluable to him. She helped him with everything. She helped him carry on his mission. She helped get him to the place where they would copy down the Bible and, and, and catalog it. Now, he didn't want that relationship at first because it was dangerous, but then it turned out to work you know, very well for him. And now, point number 10 to take away from this movie and just in general, there is always a remnant. Do not lose hope. God let Noah and his family survive and carry the bloodline of the Messiah on. There's only eight people out of the entire world, okay? Now, 1 Kings 19, 16 through 18 says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. There's always a remnant. God always has people that are faithful to him that are left. Or else the end times wouldn't even happen. Who would he be taking up? Who would he be, you know, who would he be, who would the, all the, the, the end of the Bible be written for if there was no remnant? So there is a remnant, so don't lose hope. For our paid content this week, like I said, we're going to get into our guest for next week and the information we're going to be going over, I'm going to tell you so you can get his book and you can read it. Now let's go to our conclusion. There's three things I want to leave you with. The first one is Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So in that 30 years, there was one Bible left. Eli took it, took it, took it. His word did not pass away. God's word did not pass away. And then boom, the Bible was written down, printed, printed multiple copies and saved. Now, even just like there was one family left in the flood, there was one Bible in the book of Eli left. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will not pass away. Now, don't be like Eli and take 30 years to have the word of God change you fully. Okay. Now, the other two things are walk by faith and not by sight and never lose hope. Number three, the word shall not pass away. Walk by faith, not by sight. Never lose hope. Now, here is our special guest. His name is Eli. He, I got him and his brother, Amos, when they were just a couple weeks old, I think. A month old, maybe. But he's named after the movie, The Book of Eli. This is Eli. But he's a cute little boy. He's a little porker. Look at his little legs. <laughs> he's a good boy. All right, you can go. So now, in conclusion, the full conclusion, I will leave you with Eli's prayer at the end of the movie. Dear Lord, thank you for giving me the strength and conviction to complete the task you entrusted to me. Thank you for guiding me straight and true through the many obstacles in my path, and for keeping me resolute when all around seemed lost. Thank you for your protection and for your many signs along the way. Thank you for any good that I may have done. I'm so sorry about the bad. Thank you for the friend I made. Please watch over her as you watched over me. Thank you for finally allowing me to rest. I am so very tired, and I go now to my rest at peace knowing that I have done right with my time on this earth. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Amen. Now it's time for our paid content, and I will see you next week. Stay rad.